All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Awaken Indie Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron McNicholas. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And if you joined us last month for our month-long focus on regenerative agriculture, we appreciate you tuning into that. And now we're going to be kicking off with some new topics uh, coming up. And this week we have Jesse Coomer on the show. And the first time I met Jesse, it was amazing to me just the energy <laughs> that he brings and the presence that he provides. And he came over to my place to record this episode, and we had never met before, and it was just my privilege to be able to spend some time with him, geek out on some topics around health, talk about cold therapy, and a lot of the different topics we're going to jump in today. But I think it's just a, a great reflection, I think, of the practices that Jesse has incorporated into his lifestyle that have led him to have this, I think, this high energy, then this presence, and it's really fun to be around. So I'm excited to share Jesse today and his message um, but before we jump in, just a couple reminders as always. Um, please like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Remember, the show's all about community. It's all about sharing and trying to bring that community vibe. Um, we want to give resources. We want to give education, ways to connect with practitioners, um, farmers, um, even health coaches in the area. Um, so we're looking for ways just to kind of share their messages. So try to support people around us, support our local Indiana community. I think we're going to be supporting an enlivened group. So definitely, if you can, get in the hands of people who might find this information valuable. Um, secondly, if you haven't stopped by Georgetown Market yet, please come on by. It's a great hub for things on holistic health. You can get herbs, supplements. You even can go buy a deli and get some food, some lunch for the, the day. Um, and you can stop in and talk to a, a well-educated and informative staff. So we'd love to have you. We're there to serve. Um, they're the reason that you know this podcast exists, and so we're so grateful to Georgetown Market. And third, we love hearing from you here at Awaken Indie. If you want to email us questions, comments, concerns, suggestions for future guests, and remember, we just had that episode on blood work come out. If you want to submit um, a inquiry about blood work, or if you also want to submit questions to be answered on one of our live episodes, um, please submit those. It's podcast at georgetownmarket.com. Dr. Lauren and I, we'd love hearing from you. Remember, again, it's all about community, so we want to be there for you guys. Um, I'm excited today to share Jesse's message, and without further ado, this is Jesse, everyone. excited about this one because I like Jesse because he's got a lot of energy and he's got a great personality to bring it. So I think we're going to have a, a good conversation today with a lot of good things. Um, a lot of, I think, practical and daily regimens and practices that can really just, I think, shift the paradigm and like shift the focus and the mindset. And so, Jesse, welcome to the show, man. I am so glad to be here. And I mean, what a warm introduction. I, I like you too, man. <laughs> Let's have fun. Let's do it. Um, so, Jesse, for those that maybe aren't familiar with your work and what you're doing here, um, can you give a little bit of background and kind of how you got into this realm of things? Yeah, so so I am a breath worker, a breath coach. I, I train a lot of different modalities. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of different kinds of coaching, but breath is my, my main focus. There's also, um, you know, maybe it's a overly used word, but biohacking, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I teach heat and cold therapy and we'll talk maybe a little bit about, uh, especially the cold here in a little bit, but, Definitely. but, um, but yeah, so I, I got into breath work, um, and as, 
as is the case for, I think a lot of people, I was my own first client. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, most of my young life, I, I've, I've been an extreme extrovert, um, as you probably have noticed in our time together today. Um, and then I, but this interesting thing was I've always had a tendency to ruminate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had social anxiety my whole life. And so the thing that, you know, I, I craved, you know, being social, being around other people is also the thing that caused me a lot of anxiety. And, sure. and so what I did, sadly enough, I did what's, you know, I think very common is that I would, I would do, basically I did all the wrong things to, to mitigate that. Yeah. So in my young life, I, I, you know, I got into drinking and alcohol and drugs and things like that. And I had a real problem with those things. And the, the thing I like to say about, you know, some drugs and alcohol, you know, they really work mm-hmm. for a little bit, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> They're band-aid. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. And, and of course, obviously, they, they hurt more than they ever help. And so um, it was about in my late 20s when I decided that I really needed to, first of all, everything, things were worse than ever, ultimately. And I was... I really needed to try to make some kind of a change in my life. So, so I did, um, I'd, I'd heard that, you know, exercise was supposed to be good for you. Sure. Uh, you know, the funny thing I always thought was that, you know, all these things that were supposed to be good for you, like, you know, eating broccoli and, and stuff, you know, but why is it that the stuff that tastes so good is not the good <laughs> stuff? And then, you know, when you go exercise, you, know, you get, you get all sweaty and sore and what's with all this stuff. <laughs> so I did a lot of really, I guess, personal, um, experimentation. Sure. You know, I got into, I tried to get into different kinds of fitness. I eventually found, uh, you know, weight training and, um, and, and doing some, I did, I did, uh, some hit for a while. So it was insanity whenever that, that was out if, if for anybody that remembers yeah. that one. And I got into some of those things. Um, and they, and it was great. You know, there, there's a huge shift Whenever you start to engage your nervous system and you're, you really start to engage your physiology in a purposeful way. And that was awesome. But I still ruminated. I still had, you know, a lot of, of, of those issues and I ate better and I, all these other things. And so a friend of mine, he said, you know, you might try meditation because I've heard that's really good for, you know, people with that kind of an issue. And so I was like, sure, meditation. Yeah. I'll do that. And so uh, I quickly found out that I was terrible at meditation. I just, <laughs> and my joke is that I, meditation is the easiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You just sit there and don't think about anything, right? <laughs> yeah, that goes. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's, and so obviously, you know, the joke is a joke because it's, you're, you're trying to do something that's just, just, you're fighting against yourself. Um, you're thinking about not thinking and that's, that's, is generally not going to be very effective in yeah. calming you down. And so um, I started to research how can I meditate better. Yeah. And that's when I started to find out there was actually a connection between our nervous system and breathing. And that really blew me away. That was that was really a, um, you know, this thing that we have to continue to do. You know, ultimately I found out that it influences everything. Like yeah. everything is influenced by your breathing. But I didn't realize that at the time. And so I started uh, doing some breathing techniques uh, with yogic style breathing called pranayama. And I started doing some of that. And it was it was kind of cool. And I, you know, I started getting a little more mellow and relaxed. 
But it wasn't until I I eventually started um, – I found out about this thing called Wim Hof method sure. and this guy, it was way back. This is early on. I was probably one of like a dozen people who knew who he was, but I, what happened was I was on the internet and I was scrolling through, uh, the weird side of the internet, you know, it, <laughs> the dark side, right, exactly. you know, the, the lizard people and yeah. the, all this, you know, the crystals and this and that just kind of like, you know, sometimes you're, you're up at three in the morning and you're like, let's, let's, let's look Deep weird. this one. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I was scrolling past this article and it said, learn to control your immune system uh, consciously. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. So I clicked on it, right? <laughs> of course, why not? <laughs> and so I, I was expecting just to pass judgment immediately and move on. And what happened was th- this guy was, he was making some sense mm-hmm. and there was some science behind it. So I tried it and it really felt good. Good. And this is what really started me in the biohacking world. I'd never really um, thought about the idea of hormesis, right? And, mm-hmm. and even at the time, I didn't know what that was. I just knew that, wow, whenever I challenge myself with breath, when I challenge myself in, in Wim Hof Method's case with the cold. And then later on, I started to learn a lot about sauna and and heat training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, wow, I've been doing this with exercise this whole time. I, yeah. I didn't even realize. Then I started realizing that, uh, wow, there's so much that we no one tells us about. And so um, I started with with training and, and uh, I was... I was a, I was fortunate enough to be one of the first people to ever uh, be trained by Wim Hof. Wow! Um, so he was my first teacher, and uh, that's also whenever I met uh, a lot of other breath trainers, uh, Brian sure. McKenzie, Casper uh, Vandermeulen, people that I absolutely just really really respect and that I've learned a lot from. And from there, I started to learn a lot about other modalities i started to learn about the nervous system a lot yeah and um how it's not just and i think one of the big misnomers when it comes to people thinking about breath work is that it's this thing you do it's kind of like taking a pill right mm-hmm. or or taking a medication or something like that you do it in the morning and then you're set all day long yeah it's not really like that yeah and and so but at the time i thought it was and and eventually i started to learn more I started doing this professionally in 2016, uh, training people with their breath. And ultimately, it's every single breath you take Mm -hmm. is influencing your nervous system. And there's so many different modalities that you can use to, to do that. But it's not it's not like there's just one thing that's like, oh, you know, take this one pill and 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 you'll be healthy forever. And sadly enough, it's sold like that. Yeah. You know, and it's the same with, I think you see it in the supplementation industry. Definitely. We've seen it in fitness. Um, there's always some kind of a thing, one simple trick mm-hmm. to being thin or uh, never get sick again or, you know, um, lose so many pounds in so many weeks as if you could even make that kind of claim. Yeah. Right. And so um, over the years, over training a lot of a lot of uh, clients, over you know learning and and teaching, um, I've I've developed my own breathwork uh, philosophy really, and it's it's really centered around yes, there's a lot of techniques, there's a lot of things you should learn um, about how breathing influences your nervous system, and then it doesn't stop there, yeah. right? Because it's like um, 
you shared with me your, your functional medicine. Yeah. And if all you did was took Hawthorn berry because you know it's good for your heart. Yeah. And then you never checked your blood pressure. Yep. Right? That's, you know, it, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. So, so you have to learn what what we call the it's introception. So the, the skill of internal awareness. Mm-hmm. So my practice focuses, yes, we learn a lot about how to do breathing. But we also learn a lot about how to know if those things are having any effect at all and how to learn more about yourself. And so I call it the language of breath because it's it's ultimately learning how to speak to your unconscious self, which is governing most of your physiology. Yep. And then learning how to listen, you know, you know, metaphorically, I guess, listen, learning how to be aware of how it responds yeah. so that you can continue that what I like to, it's a metaphor maybe of language because I'm a former English professor. I didn't, I guess I didn't mention that, <laughs> but, but it, learning how to be in harmony with yourself yeah. as opposed to living under the illusion of, you know, one simple trick or, or control. I get that a lot in breath, in the breathwork world. Hey, you know, you're, con- you're going to control your thoughts and you're going to control your nervous system and it's not really control so much it's it's learning to be in harmony with yourself yeah there's a lot of great things that just in those 10 minutes right there you brought up and we're going to definitely go into a lot of different areas with this but i like that you brought up hormesis and for those that aren't familiar with hormesis it's it's the idea that you know a little bit of stress is actually good for us um where too much can be suppressing it might be you know too much but you know, what are the things that we can do day to day that challenge us just a little bit so that we can grow long term? Um, I'm always reminded of the story of um, back in the day, there was a prince who was taking low doses of toxins because he was scared that he was going to get poisoned um, in the kingdom. And so he built up this whole repertoire of different toxic herbs and um, concoctions that he was taking. Um, I think ultimately that story doesn't go very well. But Well, no, actually, um, being that I'm an English professor, I, I'm a collector of uh, – hey, did you know that? Yeah, yeah. You know, all these, these, little, these little cocktail party facts. But, but this is also where we get the term – Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. So, so uh, everyone's heard of Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. and so there's a few different stories as far as how we might have gotten this. But the one that 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 I like the best is that 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 it's very similar to what you're saying. So mm-hmm. Julius Caesar was the greatest uh, general in all of Roman history, but if he hadn't been alive, then the greatest general of all of human uh, in all of Roman history would have been Pompey. Now it just so happens they were both alive at the same time. Okay. And so. They, uh, this was during the, the Roman civil, civil War, they were fighting each other and uh, trying to kill each other, obviously, in any way possible. So Pompey, uh, he was like, I know they're going to try to kill me by poison. Sure. So let's, let's go ahead and become immune to poison. And it is true that there are certain poisons you can become immune to, mm-hmm. or at least you can build a very high tolerance to yeah. by taking small incremental high, higher doses. So he took a little bit of poison mm-hmm. with a grain of salt. 
Oh, interesting. Turns okay. out salt had nothing to do with it, but that was his little thing. That yeah, okay. And or I, I, as far as I know, the salt doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. But what he was doing is he was he was using horm- the hormetic stressor a little. If you don't give yourself any of it, there's no effect, right? Yeah. Too much of it, it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. But if you give yourself the right amount, yeah. <laughs> you know, over time, and we are not talking about Princess Bride, yeah. right? <laughs> I often, <laughs> but the thing is that that over time you can build resilience yeah. and so this is true in, in a lot of areas mm-hmm. um uh, and we use it in biohacking a lot yeah. because and really in fitness in general because we didn't realize and this is the book i have here is my first book it's called a practical guide to breath work and and uh the the subtitle is a remedy for the modern human condition and the reason I, that's a little thing I coined, right? I like that phrase. And and the thing is, we're living in the modern world, which is nothing like most of all of human history. Yep. And we found out after the industrial revolution that what is you know we don't have all these same stressors we used to. We don't have poverty. Well, we still have poverty. We don't have. Uh, we're not starving to death, right? Mm-hmm. We've industrialized that. We've industrialized so many things. You you, you know the, the as far as like. Dying of of these really preventable diseases. They're preventable now. Mm-hmm. They weren't for most of human history, especially in in large cities. Why are we still? Why are we less healthy? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it, of course we were like, well, you know, uh, maybe we should be moving around more. You know, and that was a major thing. It was like I even remember uh, here in Indiana, uh, where I'm from. I'm from a small town called Vincennes, mm-hmm. and we had this. Um, there was this comedian named Red Skelton. Okay. He comes from there. And he, he's the guy who, he was like the first um, talk show host. Like in the in the world of like entertainment, he was the first comedy talk show host okay. in history. And anyway, he was on the Ed Sullivan show. Or I forget what show he was on. It was an older show. Sure. But I was watching a, a YouTube video of it. And they were talking about, are you trying this new exercise thing (laughs) (laughs) it's new invention yeah think about that though because in most of human history if you were to say exercise you'd be talking about like what you do to a demon right (laughs) to get him out of your house yeah so so we we realized wait a minute not only does exercise make us healthier Mm. it is actually required Our, our our physiology the human organism requires stressors like that in order to have its fullest capacity for health. Yeah. So we started to notice this with a lot of things. Now in breath, we also use hormetic stressors, um, not quite to the extent of you know a poison or, or something like that. Sure. But we also use hormetic stressors to enhance a person's uh, athletic ability or improve their resilience to stress too. Yeah. But this is all part of the human condition. That's a modern human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have a, a whole different world than we once lived in. For instance, um, you know, right now uh, it's the daytime, but at nighttime we can still have daytime, right? Because we have electric lights. We have a lot of, yeah, Yeah. we have a lot of things that send our nervous system signals that consciously we know it's not that, you know, Mm -hmm. we know it's it's like 930 at night or whatever. Uh, I should be getting tired by now. Um, But yet I need to take a bunch of things to get to sleep every night or, Mm -hmm. you know, those types of things. And so what we do with breath is we say, okay, I'm going to use my conscious awareness to 
inform my nervous system of how I consciously know we should feel and and be prepared to behave. So, um, and in fact, we were just talking a little bit before, and I do talk in like long ten minute segments, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah, we like it. Yeah, uh, but but we I, we were just talking before we st- uh, we started this. Um, I'm training the uh, Indianapolis Metro Police Academy, mm-hmm. and we're we making history. This is the first time in American history, as far as I know, that there has been a breath focused uh, certification for the academy trainers to train recruits. So, and, and it's not because you know of they don't have enough oxygen to breathe, right? <laughs> yeah, it's because of nervous. Our nervous system is intimately connected with our breathing. Yep. So as our, our listeners are, are listening, you know, you probably weren't even thinking about breathing. But now that I'm starting to talk about it, and maybe I'll even talk about your diaphragm, right? And your diaphragm is, is contracting and it, it invites more air into your lungs. And maybe you're starting to think about it. And wow, now you're taking conscious control of it. And that is one of the few places in our nervous system that we share conscious and unconscious control. So it allows us to have a, a, a doorway, I call it the Rosetta Stone mm. of the language of breath, because it allows us to inform our nervous system, um, okay, yes, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a uh, situation where there's a lot of stressors, yeah. but I can, I can say to my nervous system using my breath, I can, I can down-regulate as opposed to becoming incredibly you know, hypersensitive, what we call fight or flight oftentimes, um, you know, for the, for the nervous system nerds out there, you know, becoming sympathetic dominant. Um, and, and so we, we have the capacity using our breathing to influence that and it can help a person become more focused. It can help a person sleep better, digest better. Like it's connected to everything. It is. And, as you even talked about, I could feel my breath there. And mm. dog's also quiet outside now, too. So oh, I go, yeah. oh, the relaxers kind of settle in there, too. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a, a major shift when you kind of just settle in and you can feel it all of a sudden. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing to me that you've got this training going on. And I think it's really, really cool that you're working with that profession specifically. Because, you know, when you think about that field, you know, you kind of have to be on all the time. You don't know where the threat might be coming from or what you might be prepared for. Right. Um, so I think that's a huge impact on that profession. So I'm curious, you know, with the work that you're doing right now, how are you approaching breathwork? Because, you know, it's been around for such a long time. Right. Um, how are you doing it differently than others? So so breath, breath work, um, controlled breathing techniques, they've been around for thousands of years. Um, most notably, um, you know, through the yogic traditions, we get pranayama, and and the reason why we know a lot about that is is because they wrote it down, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of of written things that have have come down through thousands of years. But it's not just yogic tradition. There's um, through my research, you know, there's nearly every culture has had some kind of a uh, either a, we might not consider it a breathing technique for this or that, um, but there has been some kind of a, a relationship to breathing. Even um, what, you know, here in the West, uh, oftentimes we might be surprised to know that there's even a um, 
uh, in my research, I found that the Russian Orthodox Christians have a practice of breath work, hmm. and it's called systema. And um, it was taught to the Holy Roman uh, Knights when they were fighting off of the Mongols. Mm-hmm. And, and again, combat training. Yeah. But it was taught to them by uh, the Orthodox monks. Um, there's, it's something we've had as a part of our hum, human experience in, in most cultures. And, and so also, for better or worse, um, there's been a lot of maybe esoteric traditions and things like that. And so what I do in my training is I learn everything I can learn. Yeah. I um, will learn it from whomever. I try to decipher what it's doing. I look at the research. I look at the um, uh, the, the physiology, uh, the things that I look at. I think this is the mechanism. Yeah. And I've been very fortunate to make friends with neuroscientists and uh, and. Uh, research psychologists and, and people in these fields that can tell me a lot about the actual science. Yeah. Um, and then I try it. I try it myself. And yeah. I'm like, okay, what is it doing to me? And how can I figure this out? And and ultimately, through a lot of research and through um, really trying to bring it into modern day thinking, um, that's where I came up with with my main philosophy of breath work. And it, it's really rooted in thousands of years of history, mm-hmm. right? We've been we've known about science has known about the relationship between breathing and our nervous system, uh, starting at the tail end of the Civil War. Um, it was uh, th- there was a doctor that observed that certain populations. Of course, when we go to war, it's 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 sadly enough, it's whenever most. For most of human history, it's the first time a lot of people have ever had medical care. Mm. And so this doctor, he found uh, – it was like 300 uh, soldiers who had this – what what he called um, – what later was dubbed as hyperventilative syndrome. Mm. And there's some belief that what he was observing was connected to like uh, PTSD and things like that. Yeah. But also once, once with these particular uh, – soldiers once he was able to to reduce their breathing and and improve their breathing um uh, uh patterns mm-hmm. he was able to get them to go back to a normal like state they were they were just never able to sleep they were just sweating all the time it was it was just really high end anxiety yeah. and, and they they felt stuck there but that was back in the you know the mid to late 1800s yeah and so we've studied it significantly since then there's been a lot of research on how breathing influences the nervous system, how the inf- the nervous system influences it back. And so my main mission is to bring it to the the average person who, who is, I, I think it's it's something that we should all know how our nervous system works. Yeah. And we should all know even uh, that, you know, where, where emotions come from. Like, and this is one of those things now, half people just turned it off, right? Emotions, what? But, and, and I'm, I'm not... Talking about like let's you know sit around and and cry it out, even though I do believe in the power of grieving and it's important to do. Sure, but it's important to understand on a very simple level there is a biological function to emotion. Yeah, and for I think I what, what blew me away is whenever I learned about this um, because most of my life emotion was this thing you had to kind of put up with, right? Well, you know. 
Yeah, or maybe, you know, and then you would watch like the science fiction shows and they go to a planet and they didn't have emotions. And man, it would be nice if we didn't have those emotions. And but boy, I guess we just wouldn't be us if with if we didn't have them. We will take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. And we we think about that good and bad emotions. And the biological function of emotion is to move you to action or behaviors. And when I found that out, right, it's because there's a part of your unconscious mind that based off of all your experiences in life has come to a conclusion about what the best course of action is for you to take. And it's trying to move you toward that in a powerful way. That's where that's come from. And when I found that out, I was like, man, why didn't anybody tell me this before? <laughs> not teaching it in schools. They're nowadays. not teaching it in schools. <laughs> no. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that I think when I think about the directions that we can take, I think our subconscious can largely dictate where we're going. Yeah. You know, the larger culture around us and society can influence that without us knowing our own family, a family little history and traumas even. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And so I'm even interested with, you know, trauma being a big thing. And even with the police officers you're working with, I'm sure they're, you know, exposed to a lot of dangerous situations that can lead to maybe trauma down the road. Absolutely. Have you seen with breath work that people have traumas come up and that there is a lot of emotions from that? Absolutely. One of, one of the things is <clears throat> understanding um, how, first of all, how traumas even happen. Generally, when, when a trauma happens, um, it, it, and, and, and I don't want to make too broad of statements here because we're still learning a lot about how this all works. And there's, sure. there's a few different, there's a lot of different voices in this, but um, mechanistically, you you see a person that is in a circumstance that, um, and, and their unconscious mind. Okay. So we, so I like to, so there's a lot of different ways to look at the mind, right? So some people like, like, like to look at it in a Freudian point of view. I I've adopted another point of view, which is it's friends. I fr- very friendly, Freud friendly, mm-hmm. but, um, it is ba- basically is that we have the, a conscious self and we have an unconscious self. And our human experience is, is basically a combination of those two things. The conscious mind is, a, is approximately 5% of what we have happening in our brain. And then the rest is unconscious processes. And that sounds scary at first. And that sounds like, well, that's not me at first. But it is. Absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Uh, our personalities, our sense of humor, um, our gut instincts, listening to your heart is all coming from unconscious processes. It's all coming from the the conglomeration of all of the experiences you've had in your life and the judgments that you've made on them consciously and unconsciously. So when it comes down to a trauma, what's interesting is that two people can have the exact same experience and only one of them experiences trauma, right? And we don't understand exactly why that is. But there's uh, there's a there was a case study where well, no it wasn't a case study it was this um, it was an example of this person who was actually traumatized uh, by and we've all had this happen you're sitting at, in your car at a stoplight or something like that and maybe uh, you uh, didn't when it turned green you didn't go fast enough and someone honks at you from behind right sure. and so at that moment uh, you can be like well. So I guess I got to go, right? Yeah. Or you can also uh, experience shame and, um, and, and what does this say about me as a man? Mm-hmm. And what, you know, <laughs> we can have a very complex emotional response yeah. f- for mundane things. 
Um, but typically when we look at, at trauma, we're looking at the locus aurelius in the brain releasing enormous amounts of what we call norepinephrine, right? So we have norepinephrine, noradrenaline, um, and, and then we also have epinephrine, adrenaline. So, so in Europe, they call it uh, noradrenaline. In, in here, here, no, here in the United States, we call it noradrenaline. In Europe, they call it norepinephrine. But it, most people just call it norepinephrine. Mm-hmm. The point is, this is what makes us uh, attentive. It, it makes us able to concentrate and focus. Now, when we have enormous amounts whenever we're really, really in a dangerous situation, the brain puts a lot in there because it says, okay, we need to really pay attention to what's going on so that we can escape, so we can make some kind of a, we can observe, we can see the the way out of this, right? Well, it also imprints that experience into you very, I mean, because you just can't forget that moment, right? And we always think about, if you think about the times whenever it was a major instance in your life, and you're really scared, or you're really uh, a big, powerful instance. Oftentimes, I can remember like it yesterday, right? It's it's imprinted in my mind. Yeah, and um, and so and so we see with breath work, um, and this is where uh, you want to really be careful with with who is guiding you through breath work. But what we see is the the induction of what we call transient hypofrontality. Um, and we also see the, uh, that if you do breath work in specific ways that you can ultimately very simply put, uh, because I don't want to go into all of this, this stuff, but very simply put, you can, in many ways you can. Uh, release some of that trauma without having to re-experience the trauma, hmm. um, and and that is a claim that uh, I want to say that be very careful with who you're talking to, uh, who makes that kind of a claim, yeah. um, because and, and we're we're still learning a lot about it. We don't really fully understand that, mm-hmm. um, but you it is it is very common to have a client um, who's going through some emotional issues that are probably exacerbated by some kind of a earlier trauma or, or some kind of a, uh, a a way of looking at life that's based off of some kind of a experience in their past. We'll just put it that way. And we can, we can help a person look at life hopefully in a better way. The other thing is, and this will be my last thing about it, ultimately, even if you if there is no – you know, we would love to have a trauma eraser, right? Mm. But, you know, regardless of where the research goes with that, if a person is experiencing trauma, they're generally more uh, sensitive to the possibility of harm. Mm-hmm. And so that keeps them in a sympathetic dominant state. So so you're more in what, like what we might consider, you're much easier to go fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? We all understand that. And so... What we can do, even if that never goes away, we can at least give a person the tools to downregulate their nervous system yeah. more easily so that they can live a more normal life. I like that. Yeah, with the breath work, it's kind of like a way to dip your toe in the water of the trauma that might have been experienced. <clears throat> and I even liked it with our focus we had on women's health a couple mm-hmm. months ago. Yeah. And the practitioners were talking a lot of times about, you know, when we have trauma and stress in the body, we can't create a safe environment for a pregnancy to occur, yeah. you know, in the context of women's health. And so, you know, finding these little things that kind of gently guide you into that 
scene where you can have some healing, have some um, recognition that there might have been something that came up in your life that did scare you. Um, and when I think of someone that's been scared and traumatized, yeah, it's that like fear to go back out there. And yeah, there's there, there is a school of thought uh, on trauma, which I happen to agree with. Sure, and that is when you're traumatized, it's you don't even feel comfortable in your own body. Yeah, right? yeah. you don't feel safe in your own body. And that is something like what we were talking about with pregnancy, with with a lot of health concerns, that if you don't feel safe in your own body, you just don't feel safe. Yeah, definitely. And, and you're constantly in that that state of uh, heightened awareness and, and hypervigilance. And so what breath work can really help a person do is to start to feel more comfortable in that body yeah. again. And again, you want to go with someone who is is really – uh, reputable, you're not just a person who's hey, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you to breathe real fast or, yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. There's plenty of people out there like that. But if you get someone who knows what they're doing, then you can really make some amazing progress. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some friends that have done some breath work um, and they've had some major things come up. Like they almost like bare their fingernails into their palms, you know, their hands get really tight and um, they start sweating a lot and it, it can be that really major physiological response. So I agree with that, you know, just be safe with how you approach things. Um, but if someone was interested and they wanted to kind of consider breath work as a modality, what might be some, you know, breathing patterns or places to begin so that they could maybe safely explore this area? It's a great question. So, so the first thing we, we do when we train a person is we teach a person how to take a breath again. Mm-hmm. Now, that is something where we're in an audible or audio format, so I can't really show our audience how to take a breath again. But the first thing you want to do is learn how to take another breath. And, and a lot of people say, well, hey, dude, no problem. I've been doing that since I was born. So, <laughs> you know, and I get that. But um, but just as we ha- we all have to admit that our mobility is affected by modern life, right? If you if you look at a two-year-old, they can do a perfect squat and they can just play yep. on the ground, perfectly squatted down for a long time, right? Um, try doing that whenever you're in your 30s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's it's not because you're old. It's because you've got movement patterns that have led you to having limited mobility and it will affect everything. You know, um, you go out and try to run, you're more likely to get injured. You go lift weights, you're more likely to get injured. If you've got, you know, if you haven't addressed those issues, Mm -hmm. it's the same with our breathing. And I, and, and the thing is they're interlinked. So our mobility and our, so our posture, our movement patterns, everything when it comes to how you're able to move your body, is intimately connected to how well you can breathe as well. So one of the most common things we see is uh, cell phone neck. You know, you're, you're hunched over your cell phone, and and it's been shown what that leads to is upper cross syndrome, mm-hmm. and that has been shown to be to to reduce your lung capacity in up to twenty percent, and that's huge just yep. from playing with your cell phone. So the first thing is get better posture and and learn how to breathe now. For the, the sake of this this uh, podcast, though, I'd like to offer a breathing technique that I love, and it's one of my most favorite ones. It's in my online courses. It's in it's something that you learn anytime you work with me because I it really is a powerful one. And it's, it's I call it the cadence of bliss. It's also known as four seven eight breathing. And so this one is ultimately you're going to inhale for four seconds. You'll hold your breath 
with full lungs for seven seconds and then you relax it out for eight seconds. Now that eight seconds is a long time to exhale. So don't do the whole thing where you go, you know, a whole bunch at the beginning and and then you kind of whimper at the very end. You try to make it eight seconds evenly. But for those of you guys listening, let's try this. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do also is whenever you have that inhale uh, for the four seconds, you're going to expand your belly first then your ribs, and then your chest. You're just going to go in that order. And your ribs, you really want to expand out. You want to actually have a little bit of pressure in your lungs when you're holding your breath for seven seconds. So, all right, for those of you guys listening, let's try this out. Let's take a deep breath in all the way in. And let it out. And then breathe in. Expand the belly, the ribs, the chest. Hold. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One more time. In, belly, ribs, chest, hold. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now, you notice that there's a there's a change, right? And that is not just nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so what we've done there was is a few different things. We've worked with your physiology. We've actually worked with massaging your heart a little bit with your lungs. We've worked with a few different things right there, but that is breath work. And if you and, and if you like that, that's one that I like to to offer a person. Um, you can do it before maybe you're going to do something you don't want to do. Like we've all got that phone call we really don't want to make, yeah. or, you know, the the appointment we don't want to go to or whatever. Um, or if you're like me and you know, I'm still if I didn't have breath work, I I know I don't know what I would do because I still am just I have a proclivity to worry. Mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm not saying you're going to cure that but you can treat it and you can live a happy life in, in in harmony with yourself. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you remember something stupid you said in high school, right? There's a lot of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like we all have those things that it's like well, I I went to bed and I wasn't worrying about this thing. Why is it that I have to wake up at 2 in the morning and worry about it? Um when I, or just you having trouble falling asleep. You can do what we just did, in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. You repeat that between four and eight times and then uh, give yourself you know, a, a minute or two. And then you, if you want to, you can do it again. Yeah. Um, you always want to give yourself a break because uh, you'll have a diminishing returns if you just do it like for a half hour. But, um, but yeah, something, something like that you can take with you. Now, having said that, that is just one phrase in the language that is breath, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're speaking one thing to your unconscious, which controls everything in your physiology, your hormones, your circulation, your digestion, your um, you know blood sugar, cell re- replication. Everything is controlled by your unconscious. So we're just that's just one little snippet from the huge language that is breath work. I like that, and I like that at the end. You know, it's that long exhale, and I think it was. 
Dr. Huberman, maybe. I can't remember who it was on Instagram or it was a, a talk I was listening to. And I believe he said that the longer the exhale, that's more of that relaxation response. That's that right. true. That's okay. right. So we have we have a nerve that's connected to almost every organ in our body called the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And it's the you know, it's the tenth cranial nerve. It's connected, it's actually it actually communicates more to your brain than from your brain. But um, this is interesting. So so um, every time you inhale, you um, you're gonna if you, if you just even if you take your pulse and and just become really aware of of how your pulse changes with every breath. Every time you inhale, your pulse is going to speed up a little bit. Every time you exhale, it's going to slow down a little bit. We mm. call that heart rate variability. Yep. But um, but it's also it's generally I mean because when you exhale, you stimulate the vagus nerve and it causes you to relax. And it, and it and it it's it's a very powerful thing if you can master that. No, I like it. it. It can definitely you know if you find yourself in situations where maybe you're a little nervous. Like I know sometimes if I go to a speaking engagement, I don't get nearly as nervous as I used to, but I still sometimes do if it's in maybe a new audience or sure. such. And yeah, just doing a little bit of you know maybe box breathing or longer yes. exhales yeah. um, has really been helpful just to kind of feel yeah your heart kind of settle and yeah just get your groundings more and so. You know, that's like a, a tool that you can have in your back pocket that absolutely doesn't cost you anything. It's free. You can't forget it in the car. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> it easy. that's huge. You know, it's like, oh, I've got it with me all the time. You're breathing anyway, mm-hmm. right? And regardless, this is the big thing. It's a hard pill to swallow, I think, is that the way you breathe, whether you like it or not, it's influencing your nervous system. Yeah. So how it doesn't matter. Every breath you take, however you were breathing that breath, you were influencing your nervous system. And it's very common that people are influencing their nervous systems in ways that make them actually have to endure more stress in life and rather than less. And when we're really stressed out, obviously uh, it's harder to think creatively. It's harder to be nice to your family. Yep. It's, you know, there's physiological changes, hormonal changes. Your blood sugar goes up. Um, you know, uh, if you have that chronically, you get the insulin resistance. I mean, there's all kinds of cascading effects from not having a good relationship within yourself. And, and, you know, we see that everybody's, you know, cortisol's a, always a hot topic. And if you let that be chronic, you know, it can really affect your life in, in major ways as, as you, as you continue to live. And it, it could all, you can you can do a lot of good if you take the time to learn. And yeah, it might be an investment of of time and money up front to learn how to do this stuff. But it is something that you know you're never going to run out of supply, mm-hmm. and you're it's it's and you're taking it anyway. I mean, it's no matter what you need to learn it. That's that's. Uh, Maybe that's my sales pitch. It's like, it's, uh, maybe that's what I should start saying. You better, you've got to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like it because like even there you're saying like, oh, you have these symptoms. Like maybe you're having high blood pressure, you're having these things yeah. and they're really not the issue. You know, that your symptoms are trying to direct you in a, a positive way. It's trying to remediate things. And I tell clients that all the time, you know, like if you have even a diagnosis like cancer or autoimmune, you know, those are just things that we slap a label on to help, you know, maybe identifying cross talk between professionals. But really what it is is just saying that your body's something's going on and it's trying to bring attention to it. And how can we tap in and say, hey, this is going on and how can I address it? 
Right. And I think breathwork is a great one. Um, and I, I love that you've brought that up, you know, made practical ways for people to start doing that. Um, if they want more, can they like look at your book to read a little bit more about it? Yeah, it's okay. it's called a practical guide to breath work, mm-hmm. and it's available on Amazon, um, on Audible, uh, Kindle, and at uh, the iTunes store. Nice. Yeah, it's it's nice. You know, I even do some in the gym when I'm trying to like, amp myself up because you yeah. can even do some that kind of get you going. You know, we did one that kind of helped relax a little bit, but yep, it's it's nice to have them for all different kinds of situations. Um. But I'm curious now because I also want to hear about the other side of things that you do. And it's one that I also quite enjoy. And um, it's not something that at first I enjoy. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Um, and I don't know very many people who do enjoy it right off the bat. Um, but it's cold exposure and cold therapy. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot more interest in it nowadays. And it's actually kind of nice because we're in the winter months right oh, now. Oh, it's easier you now. Yeah. cold therapy. It's, it's everywhere. So if someone's maybe heard of cold exposure and maybe they've heard of different practitioners having access to it, what is cold exposure? Um, how can people get started with it? Yeah, cold exposure is something that has been around like as a health modality for thousands of years as well. So it's nothing new. It's just that for a long time, we believed that it would make us sick, mm-hmm. right? And and hey, if you stay in it long enough, it will kill you. Sure. So, you know, there's justifiable cause. And you have to understand for much of human history, since we, we didn't have, heat, you know, heating and cooling and all these things, it was a it was a major thing you just, you just tried to avoid. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, the funny thing is um, the for the longest time, the longest held theory of medicine was the theory of the four humors, are you familiar with humorism? Yep. And mm-hmm. it's the belief that uh, we are comprised of four liquids or four fluids, uh, each of them corresponding with one of the um, the forces of nature, you know, hot, cold, uh, wind, and earth. Uh, and it was believed that if you cooled the humors, that um, it would throw the humors out of balance and you would catch a cold. And that's where that comes from in our language catch a cold is because you, you the, the humors were cooled too much, right? And we know that's not true. We do know that it is a stressor though. Mm-hmm. And so this is a hormetic stressor that if you give yourself too much of it, you can cause yourself to um, become ill in a way. It's not going to make you catch a cold. However, it may if you... Uh, if you already have something in there, right? You've been around somebody, you, you, there's a virus kind of rolling around and you overdo it in the cold, um, you can reduce your immune system slightly and, and it could you know, be a possibility to take hold. But why people do it now <clears throat> is, is because it's been shown uh, and we've researched it a lot to improve your immune system mm-hmm. and by challenging it. So it, it does, you, you, you challenge the core body temperature and you're activating brown fat. So brown fat is this is this we call it brown adipose tissue. Uh, the reason why it's it's, it's called brown uh, is because it, there's so many more mitochondria in this fat. So most of the, when we think fat, you know, we think of what's around our waist and things like that, and that's what we could call white fat. But um, brown fat has a lot of uh, a whole bunch of, of those mitochondria in it, and it allows us to. Um, quickly burn through a lot of calories to increase our body temperature, and so um, it, it also it also burns through an enormous amount of glucose. Um, so this is really kind of interesting. There's there's a study that that actually came out that showed that uh, if you reduce a person's sugar intake, like to basically nil, and then 
also added cold training and it didn't have to be getting in an ice bath, which is the coolest part of cold training, <laughs> pun intended. But, um, it, you know, just literally just being, uh, even just like a, like 70 degrees, uh, you know, not really that cold. Um, you would reduce, you're activating brown fat and that would reduce your blood sugar even more. Mm. Uh, not to the point where you feel like fainting and things like that, but they showed that it, it could uh, starve tumors. Wow. And this was out in, I forget it was Nature or um, it was one of the big ones. It was one of the major journals. So it, it has a lot of applications that we're just now starting to to get. Now, if you put them on the regular American diet and cold training, I'm sorry, it's not going to do anything. <laughs> but it, it also, but it has been shown to improve your immune system, reduce inflammation, and and generally uh, improve your circulation on your extremities. So that's why we hate the cold so much is because we got an enormous amount of capillaries on our skin. And oh my God, they have to squeeze to mm-hmm. make sure that the, the cold doesn't get in. And that's very uncomfortable. Um, but some people use cold exposure for the improvements in attention and memory. And there's all kinds of good reasons to get in the cold. I personally think that the biggest reason for me is because it, coming back to my fascination with the unconscious mind, is is generally our opinion of ourselves. We're watching ourselves, right? there's an unconscious part of us that observes how we behave and it makes assumptions and we make assumptions about ourselves based off of what we observe. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I noticed early on about six months into it, I've always had a difficult time making decisions. Again, I ruminate. I, uh, I just can't make a decision. And oftentimes it's cost me, um, good things in my life because I didn't act when I should have. I failed to act because I, I fell into analysis paralysis. But what I started to notice is that I became better at making decisions. I became better at saying, no, I'm going to do it. And I realized, wait a minute, I'm, I'm making a difficult decision every day. Every time I step in the cold shower sure. or every time I get into the ice bath, it's a difficult decision. Yeah. Even now, years into it, it's not like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not, it's not nothing to do. Yeah. And, and I still, you know, occasionally just, I'm like, man, I'm just going to do it, I guess. But, um, but I started to see myself as a person who can make difficult decisions. And I found it easier to make decisions with confidence without having all the analysis paralysis. And I think that that right there is the biggest reason why I continue to do it. Yes, the health benefits. Yes, all these other things. And and yes, um, when anything we can do to reduce inflammation, I would say is a good thing. Yeah. But, um, but the psychological benefits are incredible. I like that. And when you were talking about the benefits at the beginning, I don't know. Have you heard of mistletoe therapy? Just out of curiosity. No, I've not. Okay, so... I've been doing recently, um, it's an anthroposophical medicine training in mistletoe therapy. And we were talking before this that I, I see more cancer patients typically. Yes, yes. So this was an interest of mine because mistletoe, what it does is um, through subcutaneous injections. And so it's not like this major needle. It's just very shallow mm-hmm. injection. Um, we're injecting a mistletoe preparation that's homeopathic. Interesting. And they found through these um, studies that the average... Body temperature has been decreasing over the past right, couple of decades, right. and so a lot of times too, we don't have. And I'll talk to you know clients that will say, "Oh, my kid had cancer, and then they had a fever response, and the tumor shrunk." 
Mm. Well, mistletoe, what we're trying to do is we're trying to activate the immune system that maybe never got, you know, fully engaged. And we're trying to reteach the immune system how to work again. And sometimes it does cause, it's not always, but sometimes it does cause a fever response, a slight elevation. And it's that shift in body temperature that allows us to be immunologically active. So when you're talking about, you know, our body temperature and, you know, different responses, it makes, it makes me think of that. Yeah. And, you know, the average temperature shifting over time. And I think it's due to the fact that, yeah, we've been in these houses and these warm areas. And so we're not in the cold as much anymore. We're not in, you know, like a barn or, you know, right. tents or teepees, what have you. And it's just interesting that our human development has then made us afraid of the cold now. And even the extreme yeah. heat. Oh, yeah. Side. We live in a temperature-controlled world, right? We, mm-hmm. we wake up in a, contem- a temperature-controlled building. We get in a temperature-controlled car to go to our temperature-controlled work yep. where, we do, where, we, where we do whatever we do. And then we drive. And, I mean, we're never really challenged in this way. Yep. And, I, again, that's part of that modern human condition in that we didn't realize what these things were how important they were for our, our physiology. Mm-hmm. And it's this um, this thing where oftentimes people say, you know, when you do these things, oh, it makes you uh, superhuman and all this stuff. It doesn't. It, makes you, it doesn't make you healthier than a human can be, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Obviously, you're still human, right? It's not making you into someone, something healthier than what a human can be. What it's doing is it's bringing us back to where we were. And if you think about our ancient ancestors, you know, you go back, you, you, there are pla- places where early humans lived where you can have hyperthermia in the daytime, mm. hypothermia at night, yeah. right? It's it, in those extremes, that's, that's how we, our species developed. Yeah. So of course, you know, there's going to be some kind of a, a, a shift that happens and, you know, we don't notice it because, well, I mean, I'm not getting any stress signal. And sometimes those stress signals um, are there because, okay, if you stay in here long enough, you'll die. Fair enough, nervous system. You're right. But if I at least expose myself to a certain degree back and forth, I've even read an article uh, talking about how it may have, have something to do with our obesity epidemic. We are naturally not as hungry when we're hot. Right in the summertime, generally we're not as hot. Mm-hmm. Yes, nowadays we figured out how to make ice cream, so maybe this theory, <laughs> right? But but ultimately, in the wintertime we eat more, but we're expending more calories if you're in the cold, mm-hmm. right? In the summertime, we generally uh, should be able to eat less because we're. N- I mean, now it does take calories to keep our body temperature cool, right? Mm-hmm. As well, but um, those calories could be expended, and we could see that that has something to do with it. I don't know, but I it, the, the theory makes sense because you can you don't really have that uh you don't really have the, those those stressors. Sure. You know, you can you can have the same appetite and you can eat the same foods all year round. Yeah. So so there's it's it's a holistic approach we have to take to it. Um one of the things when it comes to uh, heat and cold training and of course breath training um, and, and a lot of these other modalities that we're just starting to see ultimately my interest is um, is is saying where is it that my uh, my my physiology is expecting a stressor that it's not getting mm-hmm. and you know 
it's interesting because so many of the the supplements and, and the herbs and things that we know, they actually, some of them are actually stressors for, they, they actually stress the body. Yeah. And it's like, yes, okay, at first, yes, okay, it is, yes. In, in some ways it's doing that, but the response makes you stronger yeah. and healthier. Yeah. No, I agree. And yeah, I think we've had this kind of culture of convenience kind of thing that's popped up and it's... Yeah. It's it's nice to have some things, but you know, even like things like if on your car you have to use the backup camera, like you're not you know getting comfortable with manually <laughs> Isn't moving that crazy? your card. That's true. That's true. We don't look up anymore either. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing, right? We're looking down at our cell phones. We're not doing the eye contact yeah. anymore. And and if you think about um, in most cities, right, you can't see the stars, mm-hmm. right? I'm fortunate uh, for for better or worse. We don't have great restaurants. You can't get really good sushi where I live. It's a small <laughs> town, but. You look up, you see the stars every night, yep. you know, and there's something to look at there. And, um, and not to, but, but we don't look up and it's these little things add up over time. Oh yeah. Oh, that's why I love being out here. We're at my place out here in Zionsville and it's, it's yeah. in the woods and yeah. okay. Yeah. That's a bit of, about here. It would be great. Yeah. You can look up and I can see everything, you know, and it's, it's wonderful not to have that light pollution around. Yes. I think that's a wonderful introduction to cold therapy. And I do want to kind of look into how you're making it unique and different because yeah probably people have heard of Wim Hof sure, I'm sure they have sure. and you've done some training with him absolutely and so I'm curious you know what was that like but then how are you now taking it and making it your own so um so Wim Hof was my first teacher and I and I did learn a lot um and and I think with anything if you really are a uh, a passionate person about learning and 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 you're really into something you learn as much as you can right and yep. you you develop you you figure things out and um Wim Hof got me started I think Wim Hof got a lot in the modern world I think he's the one who's really kicked off this whole you know getting the cold thing but um you know over the years there were there were a lot of questions that came in um, via my YouTube channel via uh clients and I was like well you know what I don't know, you know, yeah. and so, um, so I researched them and I f- found a lot of things and I did a lot of research. And so I even wrote an ebook with my protocols in it called a practical guide to cold training. So I've got two practical guides. You can go to jessekumar.com if you'd like to get my ebook. I'm, I'm planning on making it into, um, it's in its second edition. I'm planning on actually making it a, a paperback. Uh, it'll be the third edition. If you buy the ebook now, you'll get the third edition for free. You'll get the update uh, ebook. Um, but I've interviewed a lot of different voices. Um, so Wim Hof has his style, and that's great. But um, people have been cold training, especially in Europe. It, it, it's not a new thing. It's not as like here in the United States, we're like, what? Get in the cold? <laughs> yeah. But you know, over there, they they have competitive ice swimming and. And so I, I was. A, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of people that came at the cold in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for instance, I, I was able to interview Kath Pendleton. She's the first person to swim a, a mile in the Arctic or Antarctic Circle. Wow! You know, I um, I've gotten to talk to Joseph Koberl quite a bit. Uh, just an amazing guy. He's he's Austrian, and he he does he he broke Wim Hof's uh, records for cold training uh, twice mm-hmm. uh, the longest ice bath i think it was like two and a half hours and straight skin to ice wow you know uh, but he also does a lot of ice swimming he, he teaches and, and does a lot with that and i've i've also really just messed around you know just sure. you start messing around and so i came up with just kind of my own protocols and and it's based off of my own research and i started to train 
individuals in in my own you know methodologies sure um and and there's a lot of people who don't want to do wim hof method they don't want to do the the breathing style and so it's like okay cool we don't have to do that we can just do cold training that's fine yeah um or they just don't like the intensity of of that particular style of breath work that wim hof does and so they're like yeah i'd like to learn um you know, something a little more mellow. It's maybe the four, seven, eight, like we did. Sure. Um, I'd like to learn that kind of stuff, but, um, but let's learn Coltrane as well. So for me, I, I'm a big fan of small changes over time. Yeah. And I, I, the, I, I, I would recommend a person adding a little bit of cold at the end of every shower. Don't feel like you have to like set a world record or, you know, you don't ever have to take an ice bath to get the benefits of cold training. If you can take a cold shower, 30 seconds uh, in approximately in the 60s, you know, after um, a warm shower, there's a lot of benefits that come from that. And in fact, they did a, a really big study and they showed that just 30 seconds at the end of a warm shower reduced um, sick days uh, significantly. I think it's like 33%, something really wow. big. I kind of forget off the top of my head. But it was one of the biggest studies they've ever done on cold training. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if they did 30 seconds, a minute, or or like a minute and a half. All, you know, 30 seconds seemed to do just as much as the other ones. My my best advice, of course, I I would, I can't give you everything on, on the reason why I wrote an ebook is because there's a lot that I've come up with. But but ultimately, I like to to say, you know, look at it a lot like the gym. Mm-hmm. You go to the gym, and of course, you know, there's there's a bunch of different characters you're going to meet, right? You're going to meet the guy who's like, uh, you know, powerlifting and doing, you know, things that are um, that he probably cannot sustain for that long, right? He can sustain it for until he gets us to be a certain age, or injury is going to occur. He's yeah. going to overdo it, um, and that's great. But oftentimes, you'll see that. A person, if once they can't do those amazing feats, they just don't do anything. Yep. And then there's also the, the scrawny guys. You know, gym culture is a strange thing because <laughs> you know you go in the gym and it's like people try to. It's like bros trying to impress the bros. Uh-huh. And and so you'll see the scrawny guy go in and it, and I you know being a guy I love I've been going you know for a long many years to the gym. I was once this person probably. I'm not gonna you know say I was always you know the wise one or whatever. <laughs> But, you know, the scrawny guy will go in. He should be curling maybe five or ten pounds. And he'll go in there and pick up 30-pound weights Mm -hmm. and then not get any good out of it because he's trying to impress other people. And it's going back to that hormetic curve. If you do not enough, right, if you do nothing, you don't get any good. You know, no good comes from it. If you do too much, you'll probably hurt yourself. You got to find your hormetic zone. So... I, for my first year of cold training, all I ever did was cold showers. Mm-hmm. And in the summertime, I always tell a person that's the best time to start cold showers because they're the warmest cold Definitely. showers. And then this time of year here in Indiana, we're in, we're in Zionsville, right? Yep. So I, I, even in Southern Indiana where I live, those cold showers get cold, <laughs> Yeah. you know? Yep, yep. I mean, I, my cold shower, I tested it multiple times. It's usually 45 to 50 degrees and that is cold, yep. my friends. That is yeah. very cold, especially whenever it's consistently 
pouring on you. It's moving water, you know? So it's not, in an ice bath, I know it sounds weird, but in an ice bath, you actually developed a small layer of warm water around your skin huh. because your, your, your skin warm, your body is warming the water. And, and so if you don't believe me, move a little bit. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, it's cold again, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and so in a cold shower, um, man, that, that's really cool because yeah. you're, you're doing it. So, so look at it, I guess, in, in short, trying to, I guess, I'm too late for in short. But, um, but my best advice to anyone is to look at it as a, a progressive thing that you're wanting to do the rest of your life, mm-hmm. something you can sustain as opposed to, yes, you know, you go to my Instagram, you're going to see pictures of me in like ice this and ice that. Um, and yes, I plan to do that as long as I feel it's beneficial to my health. Mm. But you don't have to do that stuff to get benefits of cold training. It, just a, just adding a little bit of cold each day, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, I agree with that uh, full heartedly because I love doing the cold showers. It's easier too because you don't have to get all the gear out, like the yes. tubs and some of that, and break the ice. Um, right. And I actually did a um, it was New Year's I think two years ago now. Um, I went out to Eagle Creek. Oh and yeah, it was I might bathe there. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's cold. That's legit. Um, and it hurts. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true. It, it hurts, especially you think it hurt like in the groin or the crotch. <laughs> it's your fingers and your toes right. that hurt the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can tell you, after I did that, I probably didn't do it for quite a while afterwards because it just wasn't sustainable. You, yeah, there's no use in traumatizing yourself, right? And you can give yourself a phobia. Like, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've gotten to close to hypothermia multiple times. Um, and the reason why I, I wrote the book is because I, w- I don't want people to make the same mistakes I make. And because I think there is a culture, uh, that's, that's growing up around this. That is like, oh, I'm invincible. And, and I, I've, I kept seeing people having frostbite. I kept seeing people mm-hmm. having hypothermia and having all these problems. I'm like, okay, there needs to be a practical way to approach this. Yeah. That's safety minded and i'm not trying to sensationalize and sell something where it's like you know you're superhuman if you you know think this way or you have a mantra or you breathe this certain way it's just this is this is something that every human being can do and if you approach it safely it can be a lifelong practice so that's that's how i like to approach it and then if they're going to do the cold exposure um, do you recommend they also do breath work worth it? Like maybe do some breathing before they even get in the water and then sustain it as they do it? Some people feel as though doing breath work before getting into the, the cold is is helpful. I, I personally, I've been doing this for so long. I don't see personally, I think that's something that it can kind of amp you up and make sure. you feel more confident. Um, and, and in many cases, it can maybe affect your body temperature a little bit mm-hmm. into the increase. But, um, but no, I, I personally, the, the best thing you can do with regards to breathing and cold exposure is while you're in the cold to try to breathe in a way that relaxes you. Yeah. So, so just lengthening the exhale, like you were saying earlier, sure. that is the best advice I would give there. I like it. Yeah. And yeah, just try to find little ways. I think the cold showers sound great. Um, incorporate it in because, yeah, I think the little things that we do that get sustained over time and become part of who we are is a big, big thing. Yeah. Um, rather than these big, like, like we're kind of close to like the New Year's resolution time. Right. Coming and, you know, you'll see usually it's like we're like two weeks almost into the new year and the people start dropping from the new gym regimens. Yep. So it's like, yeah, do it what's going to actually work for your lifestyle. Um, and I think a good transition is lifestyle. And yeah. we were talking about this before we even 
start recording about making some sacred time for right. yourself, you know, if right. that's the gym or if that's meditation in the morning or what have you, family, that family time too. Right. Um, so I'm curious, like, what is your current daily routine or rituals that you found helpful? Because um, this wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about those yeah. things, right? Yeah, right. Well, I the, the podcast starter kit. Right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> ask about the routine. Yeah. Well, and, and routine is something that yeah we were talking about this before we started. Routine is something that is really helpful because it it does put you it kind of mechanizes something. It, it makes it so that you don't have to consciously think about it. Now, my life, no two days are the same, mm-hmm. and so. Um, and, and, and also I would go so far as to argue that most people, even if you feel like you have a daily grind, your, your, your no two days are actually the same. No two moments are actually the same. So what I do is I coach people on anchor points. So I call an anchor point is, you know, an anchor is something, it's a fixed thing, but you can also move it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I say, you know, every breath counts. So as you're having your experiences, as you have a little friction with whomever at the gym or at work as you have things come up, those are the times you're going to do breath work, right? Every moment of every day is breath work. Mm -hmm. But I like to say, okay, you know, there are some anchor times that typically when you wake up, typically before you eat meals um, and maybe before you go to sleep. Um, I try to get in, um, you know, an hour or two of, of weight training and I do boring cardio. I actually like boring cardio. Like, I, I know it's not sexy, uh, but, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll certain times of the year, like right now is about the time of year whenever I start watching the Vikings series again. Oh, every nice. year, every year. I'm like, yep, it's about time. About yeah. time I start watching Vikings again. And, uh, you know, so I'll, 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 um, listen to Viking music and I'll do the row machine for a half hour or something like that, you know, yeah. and, and, and like, yes, I'm rolling the, you know, I try to, I try to make it fun in that respect, but I'll do, uh, I like to do at least 30 minutes of cardio and then maybe an hour, hour and a half of weight training sure. each day if I can. Um, but my, my main thing is, is understanding that there are no two moments, no two days that are the same. And so what is it that I want out of this moment? And how can this team, which is me, right? So my conscious self, my conscious experience is only a small part of what I am. Mm -hmm. And so how can I work as a whole organism to get the most out of each moment? So, you know, in the mornings, I'll do certain styles of breath work. um, And before meals, I typically will do that. And and people might say, why do you do that before meals? For two reasons. One is because you have an empty stomach, so you're not sloshing stuff around. The other thing is, um, typically the average person, we have a industry, uh, built up around indigestion, mm-hmm. a billion, billions of dollars in industry built off of indigestion. And it's mainly because we don't understand our nervous system. When you are stressed out, your physiology pretty much shuts down your digestive organs. Yep. And so, you know, this is one of those things where I suffered from, just awful, like pretty much debilitating indigestion for years. And I'm not saying that I can, you know, just eat hot sauce and go straight to sleep. But at the same time, you know, if you take just a few moments before each meal and maybe just two minutes to five minutes and just slow your breathing down, Mm -hmm. you know, there are specific techniques that I teach, but just slow your breathing down and be purposeful about it. You'll be surprised at how much better you digest your food and then you actually get to use those calories. You get to use the protein. You get to use you know stuff like that. So so after you work out, 
you know, downregulate your nervous system. You can do it with your breath. And then that, that protein shake doesn't turn into protein farts. <laughs> there you go. That's the key right yeah. there. For all the gym culture, no protein farts. Right, breath right. Work. That, was, that was the selling point, I think. There right? you go. <laughs> well, just I know I got to get you out of here so you can start heading back. But, you know, just kind of in closing here, um, I always ask people for their top recommendations. If, you know, if someone came to you and they're like, hey, I'm interested in getting more into health. Um, what are some three, like maybe three things that people could look into? Yeah. Well, um, if you're looking into, like for instance, if you're looking into my stuff, you can go to jessicoomer.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to the language of breath collective.com. I'll send you all my links. Definitely willing to, um, that. check out, uh, obviously, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, in breath, uh, work. And so a practical guide to breath work. Um, but, uh, but I also recommend, highly, highly recommend um, learning how to exercise and, and, and really learning how to do it. I think a lot of people do it when they're younger, but uh, then they wait until they're older and they try to exercise like they did when they were younger and then they go hurt themselves. And then, yeah. you know, and then, and then lastly, I would say um, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is, learn, really take the time to learn about yourself because how you react to diets and how you react to stressors and how you react, you know, that's going to be really specific to you. We, most of medicine, most of health and wellness, we look at the mean, right? Not the average. We look at the mean. We look at the, um, most people it's like this, right? Um, but, um, but everyone is different and there's Mm -hmm. an enormous amount of biodiversity in our species. So really get to know yourself. I like that. Yeah. Those are great recommendations moving around, you know, and yeah, once we get to know ourselves, we know, um, I tell clients this all the time, you know, like I, I'm not your healer, your own healer. And we got to find that within ourselves and no one else is responsible for the life that you're, you're living except for you. Absolutely. So I like it. And Jesse, you know, thanks so much for being on the show today, taking time and coming out. And I think this is going to be a great one for a lot of people. I've had a great time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Peace. I hope everyone could feel Jesse's energy coming through the microphone there. And again, it was my pleasure to get to spend the afternoon with him. And just being around that energy was definitely, definitely a gift. So um, he's inspired me to get my habits going again around cold exposure, getting some cold showers in here and there. And I really like his advice that, you know, these things, these practices, they don't have to be these grand efforts that, you know, you don't have to go swim in a frozen over lake, you know. If you just get in the shower and do a little bit of cold every once in a while, you know, that's doing great benefit. And then just work your way in. And I think that most of these habits, most of these practices and lifestyles, you know, very few of them are these heroic grand changes. Usually they're the culmination of patterns and habits over time that really just change us. And it's cool to see, you know, if you like zoom out a little bit, take a widened perspective and can come back and revisit a month later. So I think this is a great episode. I really liked what Jesse provided and I definitely recommend connecting with him. He's a great guy to be around and we're going to hopefully keep going with some great topics for the rest of the coming episodes and we'll see you guys next time on the Weekend Indie Podcast. Peace.